Want to teach your kids financial literacy, but not sure where to start? Greenlight can help. With Greenlight, parents can keep an eye on kids' spending and saving, while kids and teens use a card of their own to build money confidence. As a parent, you can send instant money transfers, set up chores, automate allowance, and more. It's a convenient way to run your household, customized to your family's needs, and the easy way to raise financially smart kids. Get started with Greenlight today and get your first month free at greenlight.com slash odyssey. Knowing how to speak and understand a new language can be an invaluable tool when traveling, meeting new friends, or just even to master a new skill. But it's not always simple when you're bogged down by textbooks and structure classes. That's why so many people trust Rosetta Stone. Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program available on desktop or as an app. It truly immerses you in the language you want to learn, like Spanish, French, Italian, Chinese, and more. You won't just be studying English translations. The Rosetta Stone intuitive process helps you pick up a language naturally, first with words, then phrases, then sentences. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com rs10. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com rs10 today. A word of warning. This podcast explores graphic and disturbing stories and includes strong language. It therefore may be unsuitable for our young listeners or other people who may find it disturbing. Hello and welcome to True Crime Daily, the podcast, covering high-profile and under-the-radar cases from across the country every week. Today is January 23rd, 2020. I'm Owen Michael. With me today is Emmy Award-winning journalist and television host Anna Garcia. Welcome, Anna. Hello, Owen. Great to see you, as always. Good to see you. Uh, This week, we've got a couple of cases. We've got a South Carolina woman pleads guilty to poisoning her husband with eye drops years after another bizarre incident in their home. But first, we have the New Jersey uh, case of a woman missing amid amid troubling circumstances. 911, where's your emergency? County, this is Hal with the 911 transfer. I have Charlene on the line. She is in freehold. She'd like to report her 25-year-old daughter as missing. Okay, Charlene, you there? Yes. Alrighty. This case is about Stephanie Pars, who's 25 years old. She lives in Freehold Township, New Jersey. She'd move into a house there after her grandmother died in 2018. Uh, it's near the same area where she, her entire family lives. She'd gone out with family in New Brunswick, about 30 miles away on the night of October 30th, 2019. Her dad said that she had gone to see a psychic medium after they'd hung out that after that evening in New Brunswick. She reportedly posted uh, on Snapchat on the way home, and that was the last time anybody has seen Stephanie Pars, as far as we know. She's been missing since then. She was supposed to call her mom when she got home, but mom never heard from her the next day. Apparently, they are always in constant contact. Uh, she's uh, on record saying that they've talked several, a bunch of times every day. She hadn't heard from her that morning. The next uh, day, by the end of the day, she called 911, made that report. When did your daughter go missing? Um, she left me at 10 o'clock last night. Um, she was going back to her house, going to back to my mom's house where, where she's staying. Um, and I told her to text me or call me when she got home and nothing. And I've been calling and texting her all day. I went over there at four o'clock and her car was there. Um, but she was supposed to be at work from nine to six. Went back there again, like around eight, nine o'clock. And I found her phone. Um, which she never goes anywhere without her phone. And um, 
I can't get into her phone. I can't remember her password, but I was able to see one of her notifications and her job text her saying, you didn't show up to work today. Is everything okay? Um, and we still haven't heard from her. She's still not home. So you can hear the distress in uh, mom's voice there. Uh, this is on October 31st. It's about 8 p.m. when she made that call. She gave the details. Uh, as she said, Stephanie wouldn't have missed work. Uh, she had just started a new job as a nanny. Um, Stephanie was also a uh, makeup artist, and she was an aspiring. Apparently, she has a lot of talent. Uh, so mom went that day to Stephanie's house. All the lights were on. Mom found her phone in the house, uh, in the living room. The car was in the driveway. As she said, uh, the mom said Stephanie had about $200 left to her name, basically, and wouldn't have missed the paycheck and wouldn't have missed work. She was a responsible person. So obviously, that set off a lot of alarm bells. Then uh, mom told uh, the dispatcher that the boy, the boyfriend, John Osbilgen, claimed that he was at Stephanie's house the night she disappeared, but he told the uh, mother that uh, he hadn't seen her all day. And we'll get into some of the history of this guy. Yeah, this is very important for the 911 call because this is the first time that police are getting a vital piece of information. Not only that Stephanie is missing, but that there were domestic violence allegations about the ex-boyfriend. And the minute the police hear that, ding, 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 ding. Mm -hmm. That's that's the first place you're going to look. So let's listen to the tape. Mm -hmm. And apparently, like, her so-called ex-boyfriend um, was we There's a domestic violence thing going on in court. Um, and my one daughter reached out to him to see whether or not he had seen her. And he said that he saw her last night. He stayed there, and she was getting for work ready for work this morning, um, and has not heard from her since all day. What is her ex-boyfriend's name? That there's a history of domestics. John Osbligen. Do you know how to spell his last name, or? Yeah, O Z B I L G E N. Don was the last person to see her, though, correct? John. 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 Okay. Always very important is the last person to have seen someone because they will have the most information and they help solidify a timeline of when she was last seen. Start building from that, yeah. Um, I find this a little suspicious already because if there's an issue of domestic violence, they were already broken up. She had filed a complaint with the court and there was an upcoming court date she alleged that he had hit her in the head. I, If they were broken up, what was he doing sleeping over at her house? I know, you know, you break up, you make up. I, I get that. Mm -hmm. But immediately, family and friends found that really suspicious because she had made it clear she didn't want anything to do with him. So why would he be sleeping over? And now he's saying that he saw her in the morning getting ready to go to work. Okay, then why did the car never leave the driveway? Why was her phone wedged? Why the somewhere? lights all on? Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Um, uh, Asbury Park Press. Uh, they've done a phenomenal. Yeah. yeah, they have a, a great bunch of stuff. One of the videos that they've got a um, an interview with the parents, obviously very distressed. Um, uh, the dad says uh, something to the effect that like uh, Stephanie didn't tell us that because and. We didn't we didn't like them being together. And uh, John himself knew that um, that he wasn't welcome there. So it was definitely um, a little bit 
it was a little bit suspicious in that I shouldn't say suspicious, but it was a little bit, um, uh, you know, he was already on the outs with the family and, and, you know, they were not too pleased to, uh, to have that. No. And friends at the time when she, when she went missing, friends found it hard to believe that he would have slept over because they said they told police and they've also told reporters in New Jersey that she was afraid of him. Mm -hmm. So she was afraid that he was going to seriously hurt her. So if she was living in fear of him, why in the world would she have him sleep over? Yeah, she had reportedly told others she was in fear for her life as uh, they continued to have contact. Um, and as you said, she had filed domestic violence assault uh, complaint against him um, in an incident. Uh, he had allegedly hit her on the head on September 23rd. Um, in another case on a June 17th uh, charge, he had dragged another ex-girlfriend by the by the hair and apparently had manhandled her. And there was a third incident as well. So even just in the last year, um, this guy's got several domestic violence issues with this. Also on that 911 call, the mother says that Stephanie had recently gone on some dating sites, including on Facebook, and she was starting to date again. And the mother was speculating, is it possible that she could have met one of these guys? Let's listen to the 911 tape. Um, I also know that she started going on the dating page on on um, Facebook and was talking to a couple guys. So okay. I don't know whether also like, but she would never meet somebody in the morning because she's not a morning person. She had to be at work at nine o'clock. That's a great point. Who goes on a date at nine in the morning? It's possible you could meet someone for coffee in the morning. That's always possible. Seems a little unlikely. But what if she did have a date that night that she didn't tell anyone about? Indeed, um, that's certainly a factor. Uh, however, and I'm sure that investigators have gone uh, deeply into her her social media as well. When you have this this uh, ex boyfriend here, who a says he was present with her the night before, and b has this kind of history that we'll, that we'll, we've been talking about uh, that we'll talk about. It's um, you can see that you can see the choices that they're making as far as uh, why they would investigate John Osbilgan a little bit more in depth. Oh, and do you find it really strange that? Her phone was on the couch. Her car was in the driveway. Where did she go? Like, how did she leave the house? It would have been at, at the very least after 10 p.m. Would she have walked somewhere? Did someone come and pick her up? Do you know what I mean? That's like, that's the weird fuzzy part here. In in other words, if you're, if you're thinking about, because she also uh, allegedly, she also reportedly sent out a Snapchat uh, around 10 o'clock at some point. So that's, uh, I'm not familiar with what the content of that was, but if it's plausible that that was actually her and it was just sort of a status update or something, then that's sort of the last actual record that they have. They know where she was and, and that she, that was her doing this speculation, of course, but uh, that indicates that. So if she got home getting ready for bed or, you know, sitting down watching television, mm -hmm. uh, her mom said, or said, you know, mom's obviously very, uh, has intimate knowledge of her daughter. She said that, uh, you know, the phone would be in the bedroom if she had uh, if she had been getting ready and, and had been sleeping, whatever. But the fact is, this is where she put her phone whenever she was at home watching television. So you can see that, like, uh, you can speculate or if we're trying to think of scenarios, then it seems it, it seems more likely that she came home and was doing business as usual rather than someone staged it mm -hmm. uh, is my off the cuff reading of the situation. So somebody came to her door or somebody was, you know lying in wait or, or what, um, it does, uh, 
again, 100% speculation, but if somebody knocks on the door and you know who that person is, you let them in and then something happens. That seems to me what that kind of scene would, would indicate. I don't, you know, it's, we're talking about November in New Jersey. It's not exactly walking weather. And this is, you know, kind of a suburban area. Yeah, that's just you, don't, you don't walk around like, it's not like in the city where you kind of walk down to your Seven Eleven or something like that. Yeah. This is the, the suburbs. So where are you going to walk? And people don't go, you know. It's keep, very weird. And, and the cops have been looking at surveillance video and ring video doorbells. Yeah, trying exactly. To the get... ring stuff is, is, uh, is that seems to me a, a, a great lead because it's got to be something. There has to be, although they haven't. You know, they haven't shared that. The other thing I find that I personally think is very important as a crime reporter who is always frightened of all the crazy things that happen out there and it makes me change how I do things. Yeah. You know, the mother was very clear to the daughter. Text me or call me when you get home. She was seven miles away. It was mm-hmm. not a very long drive to get home. Mm-hmm. Or Yeah. OK, so she wanted to know her that her daughter was safe. I now do this all the time with my friends, not only my family and significant others, but I do this even last night. I, I, I went to a play. I said to my girlfriend, we'll be texting. I need to make sure you got home safe. I am. If there's anything I could share with anyone that is the absolute most important thing, I don't care if you're a man, a woman, if you're 50 or you're 20. Every time you leave and you're headed home, text someone to let them know that you got there safely. Uh, exactly. I was going to say, um, I mean, I'm a grown man myself. And when I go out with friends or when, when we're out and about and whatever, um, I, I say the same thing. It's whether you got in a car accident or, or yes. whatever it is, just, hey, let me know you got home safe just so, uh, you know, so we're on the same page. It's, it's almost second nature these days in the worst case scenarios, but also just, you know, I had a flat tire or, yes. uh, or, mm-hmm. or, you know, my phone ran out of juice or whatever the case is. You kind of want to have that closure at the end of the day or at the end of the evening, whoever you are. Absolutely. It's just, you know, so just buddy up always the, the, buddy state, up. the state of being alive in, in, in the United States in 2020 or anywhere really. Yeah. Sadly, but true. So they, they launch a search, uh, Immediately. And yeah, basically hours after uh, the, the phone call. It's 8 o'clock at night. So they're on record basically at one thirty in the morning. They start, uh, the, the police there start going through, the, going through the steps of the search. And the first person they go to right. is the ex-boyfriend's house. And again, his name, John Osbligen. Right. So they quickly focus on him. He is a 29-year-old stockbroker. And the Asbury Park Press, which has done outstanding work in Indeed. this case, says that within five hours— The police were knocking at his door. So the two had recently broken up and um, police at the time searched the house and they observed some kind of marks on his neck. So they're already suspicious. They search his phone and the police claim that they found 10 images of child pornography involving toddlers with adults. Mm -hmm. So they go on about their investigation. Not only we're going to get to the child pornography in a little bit, but let's just keep that in mind. Mm-hmm. So, so now they know that there is a domestic violence allegation against him from the woman who's missing. They have just found child pornography on his phone and he's got marks on his neck, according to the police. So the next thing that the cops do is they ask the family Where does she like to go? Where does Stephanie hang out? Local taverns, all of that. And police fan out checking all those locations, including 
checking, hospitals, everything that you would expect when someone goes missing. Mm-hmm. Because anything could have happened to her. She could have fallen, hit her head, sure. right? Right. Car anything. accident, who knows? Right. Anything. Because right. we, we don't know. It's just, but how bizarre is it that she didn't have her cell phone? Um, and how bizarre is that that her car was in the driveway? So where did she go? You know, Blinking it, red lights there, uh, obviously, especially right? with this guy in your past. Oh, absolutely. Between the lines here. So uh, while the investigation is going on, a bunch of volunteers are getting together. Hundreds of volunteers are getting together to start searching for Stephanie. Mm-hmm. And this is something really important that we we want to make sure that all our listeners and viewers know. The reason we're doing this story is because um, one of the family members and one of our listeners reached out to True Crime Daily mm-hmm. about this case and asked us to look into it. So Linda, who is a friend of the family, she actually had gone on some of the searches looking for Stephanie. So we want to thank her, mm-hmm. and we're doing this story because of her. It's also a great story and deserves a lot of attention because sure. this woman is still missing. We we don't know where she is. So um, yeah, we welcome that. Hundreds of volunteers are now searching both New Jersey. But they're also searching Staten Island because John, the ex-boyfriend stockbroker, mm-hmm. used to live in Staten Island. So they're wondering, you know, maybe that's a good area we should search. Sadly, these searches of both parks, woods, areas have not turned up anything. Mm-hmm. So that's so as we're moving forward in the investigation, the other thing that police found when they looked into John's phone, in addition to the child pornography, mm-hmm. They found 10 really angry, nasty text messages that John sent to Stephanie the night before she disappeared, the night she disappeared. Because we don't know exactly when she disappeared, right? Sometime between the 30th and the 31st. Right. Uh, Angry messages. And uh, I believe it was within nine minutes that all 10 of these things uh, with with expletives and all the rest were sent. So it's clear this is sort of an uh, angry ex-boyfriend kind of a thing here. Can you picture this? Like the person's like really ticked off and it's just firing these nasty messages off? You know, I think, yeah, definitely. We've all um, seen or heard or been part of, uh, you know. Bad breakups and things like that, and anger gets the better of you, and especially when you know when you're firing off these things, you may regret later, which is not an implication whatsoever, but it certainly adds to the mountain of of uh, a lot of suspicion here. Yeah, he called her an FNC. Mm-hmm. Uh, he also blamed her for ruining their relationship. So, and right. He's got a, a history of bad relationships here. Uh, another girlfriend, uh, you know, talked about how she had been choked unconscious by him several times in, in rough, rough relations, as well as just, uh, you know, in their in the in their physical interactions. She had also described she had seen him basically the day after uh, the search, uh, the day after Stephanie went missing, and she described a uh, she described it as a thick. Uh, she had a scratch on his neck. Right. Uh, she, and she said to him, rough night. And supposedly he responded to her, don't ask. Right. And it was a long scab on his neck. And she said it was uh, basically the, the size and width of like a, a fingernail. Um, you know, that's pretty damning. And apparently he was very shaken up and said, yeah, rough night, don't ask. And he's a big guy because if he you've is. seen photos of him. He's got massive arms. He looks like a bodybuilder. Right. He's a very big built guy. And Stephanie, tiny. She's like under five She's feet. She's 4'11". Yeah. Right. Uh, and this one of these other ex-girlfriends also alleges that he had to at least, uh, you know, mess around with steroids in the past as well. So, you know, there's definitely a type if we're t- if that's to be believed. If, but, correct. you know, you're definitely um, – you're dealing with a big physically uh, – 
physically imposing fellow here and with a history of domestic violence. And uh, this is from a uh, press, you know, a media report. Mm -hmm. Uh, It says here, and we're quoting now because this is right. This is very explosive. What this person, his ex-girlfriend, this is one of John's ex-girlfriends. And this is what she said to reporters. And we're going to quote because it's very explosive. I told police if she's missing, it's most likely because John killed her. I also told the police that if he did it, I don't think you'll find her because he is so sick. Again, that these are the quotes of an ex-girlfriend made to a New Jersey newspaper. And she she was contacted during this investigation. Apparently she uh, was so concerned about Stephanie's well-being and with the knowledge allegedly of, of this guy's past uh, behavior that she said, you know, here's my phone, here's my computers, please take all of this information, do what you need to do. She also tipped off um, them to where, to one particular park in Staten Island that he liked to frequent and apparently had spent a lot of time there. So they searched that place twice to no effect. As far as the search goes, I mean, I think as of this week, they've searched uh, 46 different locations, 46 locations That's in New Jersey, as well as eight uh, locations in Staten Island. No evidence whatsoever. Um, and then also that same girlfriend that we were quoting as well said that uh, he, again, this is her telling uh, putting this uh, statement out there quotes from, he said, if I'm going to kill somebody, I want to kill like a thousand people and be famous for it, which is not necessarily related to this, but it gives, if that's to be believed, that sort of gives you a, um, an insight into kind of uh, this guy's, uh, you know, social behavior in general and his demeanor who no, says things like that. Exactly. So let's, let's get the timeline going again. She's yes. disappeared October 30th, 31st. She's mm-hmm. reported missing. They've been searching. They've already questioned John, the ex-boyfriend. Now, on November 8th, he gets arrested. He gets arrested on the one charge of possessing child pornography, and he sits in jail for quite some time. He gets a hearing on November 19th, so he's already been been stewing in in jail for Mm -hmm. some time. 11 days. And what's interesting here is they have a hearing to decide whether they're going to release him. And it's at this point in the investigation that the Monmouth County prosecutor tells the judge and honestly the rest of the public what they have found on John and what they believe is the risk of releasing him. So the prosecutor is asking the judge not to release him. So they go into detail about the child pornography on his phone. Uh, His attorney – claims that they were on his phone by accident. I quite don't understand that, but that is his defense. And as this hearing is also going on, that's when they get into all the details that you've been referencing about um, allegations against him. The prosecutor tells the judge that there is a restraining order against him in New York filed by a former girlfriend. Prosecutor's Again, tell the judge, Stephanie confided in friends that she feared for her life because John kept contacting her even after she filed the assault complaint. And they also said that at least that there are domestic violence allegations against him by three separate women. Mm -hmm. So restraining order, three separate allegations. And child born. Yeah. And and right. The. And the fact that he sent these really nasty text messages, which they read in at the court hearing. Not to mention that there's a 
uh, significant relationship that he's involved with, that person is actively missing right now. Correct. However, the judge tells him, get a job. Uh, apparently, John had been fired from his uh, stockbroker job, uh, job in New York. Um, he said, I'm going to go ahead and release you, but I, I'm telling you to go get a job and you know, do something. So they release him. And Stephanie's father, Ed, was just furious about that. He was quoted as saying it's the stupidest thing anyone could do was to release him. Of course, he's coming from an emotional place. And and if we are to look at this from the court's perspective, you can't really hold him much longer on the child porn photos. And just because, oh, this is also very interesting, Owen. It is at this very moment during this hearing is when the prosecutors tell the judge that John, the ex, is a person of interest Mm -hmm. in the disappearance of Stephanie Pars. That is the first time that he is officially named as a person of interest. That is far different from being named a suspect. Right. But but it's a factor. Yeah. But from the judge's perspective is you can't try him on the disappearance case because there is no case there. And he can only hear evidence in the child pornography case, which yeah. is what that hearing was about. Yeah, it's a good point. I mean, it seems on the face of it. Why would you? But you still right. have to, you know, you can't break the rules. Due, he has due, due process. process. Indeed. Indeed. Now, there is an incredible twist in this entire investigation. John gets released on November 19th. And on the 22nd, a few days later, he hangs himself in his parents' garage. Now, when he had been released from jail, police kept an unmarked car on his street watching John, watching John and keeping the pressure on So when his parents find him dead, hanging there in the garage, they run outside screaming to the police for help. By this time, it was too late. He was already dead. Mm -hmm. With the death of the ex-boyfriend dies a lot of information, potential information. We have no idea if he had anything to do with Stephanie's disappearance and... His attorney has said that he didn't know anything about what happened to Stephanie. But with him goes a lot of information. By his own words, he was the last one to see uh, her. If if he's to be believed, and, you know, at this point, that's all we have to go on. If he says, I saw her the morning of October 31st, you know, uh, that was he was on record as being the last person that ever saw saw or talked or, or heard from her. So. That alone, that's the, the, the best lead that they had, and that is now a dead end. Yeah. Um, I mean, we don't know. Obviously, their authorities and investigators don't always share everything with the public with what they've got. They, I'm sure that they have. I would bet that they have a, a lot of leads that they're following up on, and they've, they've got uh, some stuff that will be forthcoming. But it definitely puts a big damper on the investigation as far as that last final lead. You know, right. The last person to talk to him. So he's been dead now for two months. Mm-hmm. And she's still missing. We are no closer to finding out what happened to Stephanie. Now, what I find very troubling in cases like this, and I've covered many of these cases, is there's been no sign of her. She hasn't used a credit card. She, she hasn't tried an ATM. She hasn't been seen anywhere. She hasn't reached out to her family. All of those things are very bad signs mm-hmm. about the state of Stephanie. Yeah. It is unlikely that she is still alive because she was so close with her family. She would have reached out. She wouldn't let them twist in the wind like this. Yeah. But we don't know. And the family holds out hope. 
They're still searching. Yeah, I think in that same interview that uh, the Asbury Park Press has, uh, you know, the dad is essentially, he's dealing with the reality. He acknowledges it's probably not likely. However, what else can you do? They want some closure and they want to know what happened and they're still holding out hope. And as we all are, who, who knows? And the holidays were obviously very sad for them. Thanksgiving and Christmas and apparently the Pars family loves to decorate their house in New Jersey for Christmas. Every year they like to hang 40,000 lights all over their house and make it a truly joyous place. It's that kind of neighborhood, yeah. And this year they couldn't do it. They said they, they just didn't have it in them to put any decorations up or the lights. And it's just so sad. And then I look at these two families. You know, you, you have John Osbligen's parents who have now lost their child. He was never charged in this, but it's a horrible thing to find your son hanging in the family garage. It's unbearable. And now you have the Paris family. Their daughter is missing. So just so much tragedy between these two families. Oh, it's just unbelievably sad. And I did a little um, background on on John. Mm -hmm. And this is kind of interesting. And perspective is everything because, you know, young people do stupid things all the time. Yeah. But according to a, a website, <laughs> you do, according to a website called Staten Island Live, they say that John was arrested in 2010 as part of a police sting operation into a ring of teenagers who were selling prescription pills at local shopping centers. John would have been 19 at the time, and he was arrested in front of the PetSmart. Now, I don't know what that tells us about John. Kids, like I said, do stupid things, get into trouble. But again, a little bit of background, a little bit of perspective here. Yeah, and this is suburban New Jersey. Um, this happened in Staten Island, though. True enough. Yeah. The the context of the rest of this stuff is the suburban thing. So it's, um, you know, kids will get in trouble no matter where they are. Yeah. But, uh, you know, suburban kids tend to get into a, a, a different kind of trouble than necessarily city or country kids or whatever. I don't mean to paint a broad brush there, but, um, you know, there's a lot of, there's a lot of opportunities to get in trouble when you're a wild kid and whatever. But, uh, you know, it, many of us, have, you don't go on to commit major crimes like this or be involved in things like this, uh, you know, not saying that that's what he did, but right. having this much domestic violence in your past uh, allegations and things like that, it's certainly, um, it's unfortunate. So the investigation is obviously still ongoing. They're still searching for Stephanie and looking for any possible clues. So if you know anything, the police in Freehold Township are asking that you contact them or you could contact the Monmouth County Prosecutor's Office also working on this case. Additionally, the searches are still going on, supported by the family. A friend of the family has started a GoFundMe page to benefit the cost of these searches and just to keep her name out there and looking for her. The goal is to raise $25,000. So far, they've raised about $17,000. And you can, of course, uh, search the GoFundMe page under Stephanie Parr's P-A-R-Z-E if you want more information there. Exactly. We will, of course, keep you updated on that on TrueCrimeDaily.com uh, as developments proceed. This next case out of South Carolina, Anna. Um, this crazy. Is, this Can is I say crazy? A, it's, it's, um, it's got a lot of uh, interesting true crime elements. So this is uh, last week, South Carolina woman Lana Clayton 
pleaded guilty to voluntary manslaughter in the death of her husband, Stephen Clayton, as well as to tampering with a food or drug. You see, Lana Clayton was accused of poisoning her husband to death with eye drops over several days in July 2018, according to York County prosecutors in South Carolina. So they say that she was putting eye drops in his drinking water. That's tetrahydrazoline poisoning. Too much can result in blurry vision, comas, seizures, can stop your breathing. Um, it police, can kill you. It, it, and apparently it did. Police say it's uh, not common, but the, there are other cases on the books where this has happened. Um, she told uh, investigators at the time that her husband, Stephen, did it himself, that he used to put Visine in his coffee in the morning to get things going in the in, in the bathroom, if you will. Um, to get which, the bowels moving. Thank you. And prosecutors uh, uh, said that was ludicrous, of course. By uh, X-Lax, uh, for uh, God's sakes. <laughs> you know, exactly. I mean, who does that? It's... That was her. That was her defense. But she gave two stories, though, because when he he fell down the stairs at their house on Lake Wiley, mm-hmm. and she told police initially, "Oh, I just found him at the bottom of the stairs. He must have fallen." Then she told him the story about, "Oh, he was putting Visine." Right after the autopsy revealed yeah. that there was this, uh, these toxic levels in his in his system. And you know what's interesting about her is she is his seventh. Wife. That was a, an eye opener right there. Um, that's a lot of wives. We've, we've covered uh, we've covered multiple marriages, and you know that's neither here nor there. Some people, uh, you know, it just doesn't work out, and some people are chronic marriers, and uh, you, that, that's fine. But seven is seven's on the high end of uh, of anything I've ever heard. And Stephen Clayton, who was sixty four years old, was a millionaire. Yes, indeed. Uh, and one of their houses was a million dollar house, and it it was designed as a replica of George Washington's Mount Vernon plantation. Mm -hmm. So that gives you an idea of how much they spent. He was very wealthy. She apparently threw his cell phone in the lake so he couldn't call for help when he wasn't feeling well. And burned his will. Yes. That's, you know, I I don't know if they found the physical evidence of that, but they speculate that, you know, it's never been found. And so they they say that uh, she burned his will. Now, she claimed that uh, he was abusive towards her, and that's why she— Five years they've been married, to, uh, and yes, that— And that's why she wanted to kill him. Right, indeed. Okay, but then if you search back in the history of this odd, strange coupling, there was an incident in 2016 that, for the life of me, makes no sense. Okay, so Lana claims that she accidentally shot her husband in the head with a crossbow— As one does. Yes, always, while he was sleeping— mm-hmm. And that apparently when he woke up after this attack, they both agreed, you know what, that it was just an accident. I believe that was a warning shot to poor Stephen. Indeed. Um, It seems improbable that, you know, I'm just cleaning my crossbow in the bedroom as you do and my husband's sleeping over there and it just, you know, the bolt uh, just released itself. I mean, it's it's absurd. However, police uh, did say at the time that there was no intent to commit a crime. They both, the couple both agreed that, oh, it was just an accident. Very bizarre to me. Uh, And it wasn't fatal. I, you know, I couldn't find too many details on on how injured this person was. But, I mean, you hear some crazy stories of people getting stuff lodged in their head and whatever. But uh, a crossbow bolt, uh, that uh, seems significant. Uh, talk about a forgiving husband, I, I would think. Or maybe that was a the War of the Roses type of thing. Like, okay, we'll go to couples therapy after this. You know, shoot me in my sleep. Um, anyway, as you said, that was uh, – that was uh, she was sentenced to 25 years in prison for the poisoning. So, um, a little bit of, a uh, little bit of justice there for the family and, um, just, you know, 
And you, I have to admit. Careful who you get married to. Oh, definitely. You know, well, and also always read the, the warning signs. So, you know, your wife shoots you in the head with a crossbow. I'd say, okay, be paying attention. But additionally, I didn't know that you could kill someone with drops of Visine eye drops. I, I didn't no realize idea. that either. I mean, I, I've definitely heard stories of people trying things like that, but uh, apparently there was at least one or two other serious cases. Uh, I don't know if there's one on the books where someone died from the poisoning, but um, yeah, it's apparently crossed other people's minds. I mean, I remember in high school that it was sort of like a prank that you were supposed to, um, but they, they, you, you do that to somebody's drink and they would immediately run to the, to the restroom or something like that, but it wasn't ever anything that, uh, A, was you know, nobody I knew did it. And B, would never think that that would be fatal, especially something that you could get. But, you know. That you put in your eyes, right? Exactly. Yeah. Why would you think that something you put in your eyes could be fatal? Yeah. But that's why that case and story just it went viral. Got some, some pretty nutty elements there. Oh, yeah. Anyway, she's in prison now and 25 years. So, um, you know, the men of South Carolina are safe for now. So we have uh, comments. We get a lot of comments on our social media for truecrimedaily.com. This is an ongoing story. Uh, Our listeners and viewers may be familiar with the story of the the step-grandfather who dropped the toddler off of uh, was an uh, 11-story window out of the Royal Caribbean cruise uh, in the Puerto Rico area. Right. They were docked. They were about to start a family cruise. And... What could possibly be more tragic than a grandfather picking up his his little granddaughter to show her the view? And then apparently he loses the grip and she falls and hits the dock. Incredible, horrible, horrible tragedy. The father, excuse me, the grandfather actually does get charged by the Puerto Rican authorities. He was charged with negligent homicide in the death of the 18-month-old uh, step-granddaughter. He said that he was colorblind and didn't realize that the um, that the that the window was open. He he basically said that he was holding her up to sort of look at the view of of whatever it was. But then he it was open and he slipped and she fell out. Royal Caribbean has countered because they're being sued by the parents. Right. And Royal Caribbean this week released some videos and photos as part of the court trial. They brought the receipts. And what's very interesting here, now I looked at the photo and it's kind of hard for me to see it, but according, you know, to those at Royal Caribbean who have looked at the videos, they say that the grandfather and the granddaughter walked up to the window. He saw that it was open. He picked her up, then held her out of the window. And that's when she fell. And Royal Caribbean is saying, look, this is not our fault. He deliberately picked her up. He knew the window was open. doesn't matter whether you're colorblind or not. You can see whether a window's open. And very sadly and tragically, she fell to her death. It's, it's, so, it's so sad. That whole family is so broken now. And that grandfather feels horrible. Um, of course, he's charged in this. And I, I, don't, I don't know how this lawsuit's going to go, frankly. Yeah, I mean, uh, it, it did seem preliminarily that it was sort of a he said, she said, or they said, uh, situation, but I did get a chance to see uh, a bunch of these still fo- uh, photographs and some short video of this, and it is clear that just the spatial uh, dimensions of what he's doing. That obviously he's passing her through the pl- the, right. the, the plane of the window. Um, you know, so unless you're, you know, it's really hard to defend against that. This is pretty cut and dried that he knew that that was open, and it was just obviously it was a tragic mistake. He's not trying to drop his, his no. uh, drop the girl, but. Um, it does 
put a lie to the idea that it was uh, somehow, you know, that wasn't clearly marked or that it was just, you know, could have happened to anybody. It is what it is. So we got a bunch of uh, uh, comments. We do. Alicia S. says, this is extremely sad and my heart goes out to this family. However, this was also extremely reckless of the grandfather to do that. Drea D. says, I didn't know being colorblind prevented you from telling if a window was open or not. One would think there's quite a breeze out in the middle of the ocean so high up, question mark, question mark. And then Sinead G. writes, exactly how is the cruise line at fault? He should have been charged a long time ago. Indeed. And uh, you can go take a look for yourself on TrueGroundDaily.com. It's it's out there. We had a tremendous response to this. A lot of people have been following the case, and um, you know, this is just three comments out of out of many. So please, uh, you know, visit and uh, take a look and uh, leave us a comment yourself and tell us what you think. So again, to uh, our listeners and viewers, if you have any information, you know anything about the, the Stephanie Parr's case in New Jersey, we urge you to contact uh, authorities there in Monmouth County uh, or the Freehold Township Police. Um, anything will help, help. The family needs closure and um, any detail, no matter how small, is obviously uh, a lot of times helps in cases like this stuff that you may not even realize. Um, so if you've got some information, please reach out and, and check out the GoFundMe page, Stephanie Parr's, P-A-R-Z-E. And that is our show for this week. Thank you, Anna Garcia, as always. It's uh, lovely to have you here. Uh, as a programming note, Anna is, of course, taking over the, as the host of True Crime Daily, the podcast. I'll be taking a back seat. I'll still be researching and writing for the podcast, but you'll be in the chair here taking the lead on this, uh, on this podcast, and uh, we look forward to it. So look forward to Anna leading the show going forward. Well, you know, when you mentioned this last week on the podcast, uh, a bunch of people were commenting. It's like, what? Where's Owen going? I just know that we're going to keep working together. Indeed. And you got to do what you got to do. Indeed. And Anna is a, is an excellent presenter. And uh, uh, I'm sure that um, some of our some of our viewers and listeners will be happy to uh, hear a smoother, a smoother voice uh, guiding the ship here. So look forward again to Anna leading the show going forward. In the meantime... As always, find our content on Spotify, iTunes, Stitcher, and Google Play, and on YouTube. Follow us and subscribe there. Get updates and uh, subscribe to our newsletter at truecrimedaily.com. Until next week, this is True Crime Daily, the podcast reminding you, don't do crimes. Don't do crimes.